0: Hi, I'm David Hurley. I have strong opinions on politics and political strategy, business, journalism, music, sports, and the only kind of barbecue that's worth cooking a brisket on. Spoiler, it's the big green egg. And why people should never get their hair cut more than twice a year. I've also forgotten more about wheat than you'll ever know. I'm David Hurley, and this is the Hurley Burley. The odds are that Denise Donlan has had some impact on your life. She was one of the creators of Much Music, She was the president of Sony Records Canada, and she was the vice president of the CBC. I had the opportunity to speak with Denise for this podcast, and such a broad and remarkable career can't be condensed into one episode, so we've divided that interview up into two episodes. The first episode is going to be a treasure trove of insider information from a person that met every star in the music industry and is prepared to dish a little bit to us. Spoiler, if you like Chris Isaac, he's a jerk. So let's start with episode one, an inside walk through the world of rock and roll music.
1: My pleasure. Hi, David. <laughs> Hi, how oh, are you?
0: Good. Good. Um, listen, I uh, I know that we're really going to talk about music and culture here today, but I know that you're also interested in the world and Trump. 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 What What is your God reaction to Trump? Just give me your
1: reaction us. to Trump. God help us. He is out of control. He's... Mm. I think he's just, he's such a, an ingrained narcissist that he can't see past his own large head. And, um, and I'm desperately worried about it. You know what? I have to tell you that the day after the inauguration was the women's march yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I thought I was going to be in Washington, but I ended up being in Toronto. And I was despondent and despairing. And, but I went to the march that morning, and it wasn't just women, it was kids and men and, you know, the wonderful signs and this boisterous exuberance that um, that we can actually have some of our own power. And I ended up... At the end of that day, feeling kind of giddy with excitement because I remembered that in no time in history have we, as ordinary people, had so many tools at our disposal, at our at our thumb tips, at our fingertips, to be able to agitate and communicate and uh, and and empower around issues and causes that we believe in. So that that made me feel a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it is. It is really seemingly to inspire civil society to get more engaged, and maybe that will be. A good thing do you see right, this sometimes as... it's
1: very uncivil on the anti-social media but oh my anyway. god social media is <laughs>
0: i feel like getting yeah. off of twitter because it just makes me angry <laughs> it
1: does it makes yeah, yeah. quite cross yeah.
0: um do you think that this is important um is this just a joke that we're gonna laugh at for four years and then somebody real will come back in to be president or is something important happening here
1: well, it's obviously important because he, in his campaign, touched a nerve with people who totally resonated with him attitudinally. Uh, so that's worrisome. Um, on the other hand, now it's like, uh, we know that there's that undercurrent out there, and it's bigger than perhaps that we hoped. Um, hopefully, it's not four years. Hopefully, mm. you know. Although a, a friend of mine reminded me, yes, but if he's impeached, then we get Mike Pence, who in some ways um, could be more problematic because he knows the system, mm. right? He's probably more. He's adaptive. actually
0: worse on policy
1: and and yeah. and reproductive rights, and you know. So we have to be you know more vigilant than ever because. Because we're living in a and world. He calls his
0: wife "mommy." There's something wrong oh, with that, right? Oh my
1: lord! I didn't hear that, but now you've just now, now you've hurt me. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so mm. anyway, we will we will persevere.
0: Right. So, being the head of Much Music, or even working at Much Music, mm. is not something that a person in their high school years thinks they're going to do. No. Right. What did you think you were going to do before you stumbled across music?
1: <laughs> well, I was—I went to the University of Waterloo in environmental studies and uh, and psychology. Right. Um, so, environmental studies absolutely prepared me for a life in the music business, <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but no, I thought, and it was quite a radical time because there were only two environmental st- uh, studies programs in the whole world at that one point. One in Australia, and so I thought I would be, you know, a picket-bearing protester, right. um, and quite enjoyed my little tribe that I found there at Waterloo. So the fact that I'm, I morphed into entertainment and sort of event management and that sort of thing at the Federation of Students was uh, was fun because it kind of led me on this path. Where I learned that music plus meaning could be magic. And especially once I got to much music, you know, it was a time of great artist activism. People, Sting was in the rainforest and R.E.M. was campaigning for Greenpeace. And, you know, we had the Amnesty International Conspiracy of Hope concerts. And, you know, artists were being taken very seriously for their political views and their social justice uh, engagement. So fun for me.
0: Right. And you'd been really a folk music fan,
1: I was right, yeah. so that
0: made you automatically a little bit more on the social activist side of the music scene,
1: I suppose it did, yeah, I mean, I you know tried to play the guitar, um you know, it used to butcher John Prine songs at the Grag club, and um <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, love that. Everybody
0: loves Prine. Eh?
1: Oh, he's so wonderful. I bought his uh, his fly swatters. If you go online, you can buy the... There's flies in the kitchen, orange fly swatters. Oh, really? They're at the cottage. I love those. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I love John Prine. And and a lot of the uh, the artists of the day as well, so... I guess that prepared me for the White Snake Slided In tour mm. of Europe. Not. It did not prepare me for that. Doesn't sound like there's <laughs> much
0: one can do to prepare for that tour the way you described it. Uh,
1: yes, mm. that chapter is called mm. The Feminist Compromise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you never liked country music. Murray oh, McLaughlin, look. all these years, has not been able to persuade you. Of
1: well, music. you know, I do like country because, in many ways, uh, country music these days, if you're looking for good protest music, there's, you're liable to find it there. Um so on, and, both and, on both sides. On both sides. On both sides. Goodness yes, mm. on both sides. Toby Keith is there. Oh mm. my goodness, God save us, <clears> you. You talked me. about the
0: Dixie Chicks in your book, but Toby Keith is uh, you know, the other side of that story.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I mean the Dixie Chicks were were fantastic to be able to, you know, support them, especially when they were going through their the hellish days. Um, you know, when they stood up on that stage in London and said that, you know, we're embarrassed because um, the president's from Texas. Um, and then it was... They just got pulverized, right? There was a... bull. Their CDs were bulldozed in the streets and their, their songs plummeted from the charts. And, and you know, it was a they time... They had to
0: know, though, right? I mean, it's a reactionary audience.
1: I t- well, they were in England. And I don't think... I mean, Natalie, you know, she shoots from the hip, and that's great. I mean, I still have my free Natalie T-shirt that I, that I covet. Uh, I should have it shadow boxed probably. But anyway, she, um, you know, she said uh, what she felt, and then it just became a, a tsunami around her. But the other, the chicks rallied round her, and at the end of the day, we got to see more of them in Canada, which made me happy, yeah. and um, and they survived it. And it was also a time of crazy free speech, because people like Toby, Keith, even Reba McIntyre, were you know aligning on one side or another. The Bruce Springsteen was on the chick side, uh, so we got to watch uh, you know the tenets and the fundamentals of free speech uh, being argued by artists that we love or yeah. not love so much. Yeah, <laughs> 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 which was fun.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So much music. You were originally um, <clears throat> a news. Uh, Rock Flash. I was the host of Rock Flash. Host of Rock Flash. Yeah. Which would give us the up-to-date information. (laughs) Every hour on the hour. Every hour on the hour. That's right. Whether there was news or not. And then then you got into the music side and then you ultimately ran Mm -hmm. Much Music. So Mm -hmm. Much Music, that sounds to me like an absolutely dream job. If you said to me, you're going to have a job. Where all of the best artists in the world are going to come into your office and play mm-hmm. right and then you 're going to go off and get high together and probably have sex <laughs> I would say this is okay. this is the job for me you no, know,
1: that never happened to me. The having sex part no. i don 't know what was wrong. maybe I was six foot one, maybe I was just too tall i <laughs> 'm um, kidding, but it, it it was a dream job in a lot of ways I, I mean much music it was Camelot for us and you know working there and also for the music musicians because. It was the first time for Canadians that we had essentially a national service that kind of knit the country together musically I mean we had c b c as well obviously, but you know the the opportunities not, play pop music. not well not so much at then right. although you know they 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 did their share um but yeah the, the what, i mean suddenly there was you know young kids in red deer who could suddenly watch boy george and and people in bathurst could be could could see prince mm. and you know so there was this beautiful grand creative artistic opening for artists and for um for music fans alike so I mean, we love being at that station on, on Queen Street, and, and, you know, the artists were our friends. They came in all the time, right. and uh, we got to know them, and we grew together with them, and we championed their causes, and uh, and it was a heady, wonderful time for everybody. We worked like demons. Right. You know, we but used was to it joke. work?
0: I mean that's the thing. I mean I could tell from the book that you were extremely busy. Mhm. But when yeah. you're doing something like that, is it actually work?
1: Well it yeah, it is work. I mean for me I would never go into an interview without, you know. Absolutely, uh, researching my head off. I would know. I would read everything. I would listen to everything. I, uh, you know, I would watch everything they'd ever mm-hmm. done. Sometimes it would take me days to prepare an interview for, like Rush. I don't know how many times I've interviewed Rush, and every time I would start at the beginning and do all the work again, because I believe that the artist should be treated with respect, and um, and that you know it wasn't about. Us as on-air personalities because we weren't the stars; we were the vehicle for them, and we wanted them to shine.
0: Right, although you mm-hmm. were stars.
1: Some some of the VJs were absolutely stars too. I don't put mm-hmm. myself in that category. I was more a worker bee all the time, and I hated being on air. Mm. Hated it. Why? Oh, I had a, I had you know bad big rock hair mullet, and I had a terrible lisp, and I just thought um, I Where'd mean. Would your I'd, lisp go? I if you bring it up, I'm gonna start. It will show up. <laughs> God. I used to go to speech class, right, and practice saying words like months, months. Say right. months, David. Months. See, you can say it. Uh, <laughs> or see, she sells seashells by the seashore. No, I didn't. I didn't enjoy the on-air part. I was too self-conscious. But I loved doing the work. I could, you know, research forever. Go into an editing bay. Stay there for hours, creating, crafting something, a piece of television, hmm. and you know come out and the the light would be odd and i wouldn 't know if it was dusk or dark. I would lose myself in the work. I love that part
0: when you looked at a music video, how would you know whether you thought it was going to be a hit or not
1: uh, well you could you could pretty well tell right I mean sometimes it was a great song and a bad video, but videos were so important in those days that if the song was getting airplay and the video, you know, just wasn't good, they would just reshoot it. And, you know, labels... Could a good
0: video carry a bad song?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, But not for long, right? Because you'd get past the visual excitement of it, and then you'd still need the hook to carry you forward. Right. Um, And, you know, they were spending... Hundreds of thousands of dollars on making. I mean, Michael Jackson was the first one I think to break the million mark, but there were music videos being made for three and four and five million dollars. So that's how important it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Now everybody shoots it on their iPhone. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Did they? Did they hurt music videos?
1: Well, you know, at the beginning, I mean, there's this
0: whole argument about how you know it stopped being about. The music solely, at least, and it started to be. What did you look like? Were you so? Were there artists, for instance, who didn't present well in videos? Who
1: well, music was yeah. diminished
0: by the video revolution, or you know, is Duran Duran bigger than they ought to have been? Because uh, well, of that's a good videos? point. Well,
1: that's arguably a point. I mean, I remember at the beginning, artists like Joe Jackson would be, you know, uh, railing against the idea of music video because it did become so visual so quickly. Um, it's, uh, I think it impacted it. I can't say overall whether it was positive or negative, but it was certainly a massive marketing promotional, uh, vehicle for, for getting yourself out there. The other thing about videos though is, and Canadians were quite good at this because we didn't have the budgets the Americans did. So we had to be more creative in making those videos. And generally, because Canada's so large geographically with so, such a small population, But by the time the artist got to a point where they had a major label deal or a a deal uh, in place and they were making a video, they'd already toured the country in their van, right, Uh, here and again and back and forth, and they'd honed their chops. So once they actually got thrown up on the public stage... By and large, Canadian artists, Australian artists, too, um, were able to sort of follow through and go, yep, now I've got your attention. Now I'm going to prove, you know, why you should pay attention to me more fully. So, and I mean, Canadians, we've always punched above our weight artistically. So that's why I'm such a proud flag-waving Canadian cheerleader. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and and what's an example of that for you that we've punched above our weight?
1: Well, when you look at it, I mean, per capita, before I got to Sony, um, you know, per capita, we were in the top three in the world in terms of international artists. And there's another example. MIT did a study a few years ago. And um, they compared countries around the world and asked people what the countries were known for. And the only country in the world where all top ten uh, uh, were artists was Canada. I, Frank Gehry was in there, too, so one architect, but we can consider him an artist as well. None. All the other countries were about, you know, athletes or politicians, or, uh, etc. In Canada's case, it was all artists, so
0: right, but they're all big internationally. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have this question, and and, and so you you met you referenced um, that when you were at Sony, you worked with Celine Dion and you worked mm-hmm. with Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. These are obviously Canadian stars, but they're not really Canadian stars. They're international stars who happen to be Canadian mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. in my view. So, mm-hmm. for me, one of the interesting questions about music in the last few decades has been the tragically hip. Right. Because um, in Canada, Britain has a great tradition of... <clears throat> Britain th- creates bands that dominate the world. Mm-hmm. Beatles, Rolling Stones, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They also create bands that dominate Britain and nobody outside of Britain's ever heard of them. Right. So if you look at the British charts, they'll be full of acts that you've yeah. never, yeah. ever heard of. Yeah. Right?
1: And some of them don't translate. It's and like, some of them don't translate. Robbie Williams. Robbie, Williams yeah, a yeah. Perfect,
0: perfect yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really tried hard to break him, mm-hmm. Right? But in Canada... We've never tended to have that second thing of people that are big in Canada but not big anywhere else. In order to be big in Canada, you had to be big in the United States. The Tragically Hip were the huge exception to that, in my view, in which they were as big as any band in the world in Canada. Mm -hmm. And where you'd have people seriously argue that they were the best band, their favorite band. They'd fill arenas when they toured. And then they'd play a bar in Boston or New York City, something like that so it 's always felt to me like there's something that they tapped into Canada that other acts haven 't tapped into because something about the tragically hip worked extremely well in Canada and then not at all anywhere else
1: well again, for the tragically hip it wasn 't for lack of trying. they had u s um deals yeah. uh you know there was uh, there there was overages made in terms of trying to to break them outside of Canada. the other thing i mean the the Dave Matthews' band is an American example which is huge in America, yeah. Canada not so much, right? right? So, but I don't, you know, Canadians, I think we've grown up a little bit. I think there was a real time for a couple of decades for sure. First of all, you know, we were in, we had nascent industries, so there was that brain drain into America with, you know, Gordon Lightfoot and Paul Anka and uh uh BTO, I mean, lots of artists had to go uh, to America. Joni Mitchell, because there wasn't the really the infrastructure to support them here. We had the no CanCon regulations, etc. So there was this psychology that existed that, you know, unless you'd made it in America, uh, you know, our stars needed to be, quote, validated by American success. Right. I think we're past that, actually. <laughs> um, I think that we're at a point now, and I think this is largely helped by the CanCon regulations, um, and we can argue about the Cancon regulations, and we're blue in the face. But I think, you know, they helped artists get a leg up. Uh, especially... How else would I
0: be familiar with Harlequin?
1: Well, for sure, <laughs> and Streetheart. And, yeah, Streetheart's
0: from Regina. Yeah. No bashing. There Streetheart. you go. Yeah. Never, never.
1: No. I wasn't bashing Harlequin either, David. <laughs> but I think we've grown past that. And I think, you know, that the hip. Because there was a time, and I remember it much music, and it was largely the hair bands, and they will go unnamed because I hope they've repented. Um, (laughs) But I was told by, you know, a number of lead singers that, you know, we can't mention a Canadian place name in our songs because it will hurt our chances of success in America. Well, you know what? That was pretty inauthentic, right? You have to write about what you know. You have to Feel it in order to, um, you know, create that communication with the listener. Because if I'm not feeling it and I'm singing it, it's going to fall pretty flat for you, too. So, you know, between, you know, it's a big setback for Neil
0: Young. Like, nobody liked that helpless song. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there is a town in North Ontario. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were good at it for a while. Joni Mitchell, you know, the, mm. the blue money writing on the Maple Leafs. There's a town in North Ontario. The Great Canadian Railroad Trilogy. And then for about 20 years, coinciding with huge videos, mm. you know, everyone was trying to worldwide success Not everyone. I'm, that's a rampant generality. But there were artists who would not mention a Canadian place name. And then comes Rushing Back. Rush. Um, who you know talks about Canada lyrically? Neil does. Um, Blue Rodeo, uh, the tragically hit Marie McLaughlin. I mean, we suddenly were like, you know what? We can talk about what we know, and still be successful. Right. Great. I I celebrate that.
0: But not other than Rush in that list, not hugely successful. Blue Rodeo is another case of a band that, to my ear, should have been big hits globally.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: But uh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, They had a chance to make it, too. I saw them on Letterman one time. May not have chosen the best song.
1: Right. Well, Uh, remember Rolling Stone once called them the the greatest American band is Canadian, Blue Rodeo. That was a great quote.
0: Yeah, that is, because yeah. they're writing that a whole Americana stream exactly, that's going yeah. on now. Yeah. Um, so and look you,
1: at Jim. They're still going, right? He can still hit that high note and try. Can I he, love that. Oh. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he's and he loves music. I was at a mm-hmm. Jayhawks concert a few weeks ago, and or a few months ago, and he was just there, standing at the back of the room, yeah. checking it out. no, he's a good boy.
1: They're yeah. all great. Love them. That's what's so great about, you know, Canada, is that we know these people like friends, and that is an absolute blessing.
0: So you met all the artists, from the biggest to small Canadian artists, you met them all. Who who really impressed you?
1: <laughs>
0: Give me a few examples of people you went away from meeting and, and thought better of them after having met them than you thought before.
1: Oh, Joni. I mean, Joni's one. Yeah, what and, about it? Well, Joni was one of those artists where of course, I mean, the first time I interviewed her, we interviewed her at my house because she knew Murray really well. So we did the interview and then she was going to stay for dinner. Um, and I, of course, was Panicked about interviewing Joni Mitchell. I mean, I don't use the G word genius very often, but I would absolutely use it for Joni. One
0: hundred percent, and maybe 100%. somebody that's not going to tolerate a uh, fool very easily. No,
1: and... no, she's, <laughs> and she's you know sometimes she, she she another one doesn't pull any punches. She really says what she means. Sometimes she gets a little turtle like and has to retreat from things that she said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was a she's fantastic, and not only just as a, a singer songwriter sort of multi-genres, wasn't afraid to go into, you know, the Thelonious Monk jazz world with Herbie Hancock. Mm. Um, and also her her uh, visual artistry is just gorgeous. She's a great painter as well. Um, she's a bit tough to interview because um, she's so thoughtful. So she will go down many rabbit holes and you need to just sort of hold on to your seat and follow her. Um, but other artists are like that. Tom Waits, like interviewing Tom Waits, is like trying to watch a butterfly fly, right? He right. he's a he rocks back and forth like he's a little autistic, and then you know he goes off on something, and you're holding on. Where's he going? Where's he going? And then he stops, and you're like, okay. And then he goes off again, <laughs> right? It's like Tom, okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you have to go and well research so that you can actually sit down and have a conversation. Sorry, have a conversation. Right. Hmm.
0: Right. So Joni Mitchell really impressed you because she's Joni, so, yeah. so thoughtful and so smart. What, did the interview turn out all right?
1: Oh, fantastic. And I've interviewed her a number of times over the years and, uh, you know, have mm-hmm. been very blessed to become, you know, I get invited to some of her milestones in her life, her 60th mm-hmm. birthday party in British Columbia, the uh, the ballet that was done for her in, in New York. Um, yeah, just uh, love Joni and mm-hmm. wish her, you know, well on her road to recovery. Mm-hmm. So
0: then there's the other side of the equation. One of the reasons that i um generally uh, afraid to meet the people I idolize is <laughs> to find that I'm not going to idolize them when it's over. And there's this obscure country music singer uh, from the 70s and 80s named Jerry Jeff Walker. Oh, yeah. Who I was a huge, huge fan of and am a huge, huge fan of. And um, – until you met him? No, I didn't. I've never <laughs> met him, thank God. But <laughs> a few years ago, I was uh, at uh, some folk concert in Ottawa, and the guy playing the guitar, it was Mary Chapin Carpenter, and I think Serena Ryder, and mm-hmm. somebody else, and mm-hmm. there's a guy playing guitar. And I s- and they in- introduced him. I said, that guy was Jerry Jeff's guitar player. Ah, so huh. I hung around after, and I go up to him, and I'm all excited, and I say, man I've been a Jerry Jeff fan my whole life you played so many great licks and so many great songs but he looks at me and goes Jerry Jeff's an asshole (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Jeff Jerry Jeff docked me a day's pay for going to my dad's funeral oh my lord so I'm like you know what I don't want to hear it Okay, I I, I don't want to know so who did you meet that really disappointed you disillusioned
1: Um, you Mick Hucknall from really? Simply Red? Really? Yeah, we played the hell out of that video holding back the Great song. a yeah. great record. Blue-eyed picture, soul, but, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. And uh, and John Martin at the time he was running much music just because he was man he was man- Manchurian from Manchester, Mancusian? How do you say that? Anyway, they're both from Manchester, so uh so we played the hell out of that video and then I met Mick and we sat down and he was so standoffish, didn't want to be there, couldn't care less about my well-crafted questions and I just thought I couldn't even listen to the record anymore after that, I was so disappointed in it, but you know what on reflection um the whole interview situation is, is artifice in itself, right? It's a manufactured construct, right? Somebody walks in, they're usually doing a full day of press, uh, you sit down with them, Um, you know, you want to ask them amazing interviews and get unbelievable answers. You want to dig deep with them and so that they can hopefully tell you funny, maybe revealing things that they wouldn't even tell their shrink. And they want to sell records on your airtime. So, you know, there's an agreement, a tacit agreement when you sit down. And sometimes they walk in and you don't know what kind of mood they're going to be. They could have had a huge fight with their significant other that day. They could be Terribly hungover. Um, and so you just have to take them uh, each as they come. Sometimes, you know, Chris Isaac was one of the ones for me where, you know, he was the only one who ever walked out on an interview with me.
0: Chris Isaac. Chris did.
1: Isaac, yeah. He, um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was just.
0: This is after a wicked game?
1: Ju- had just come out. Wasn't big in Canada yet. Was apparently big in America. The record company sort of begged us to do it because they thought it was mm. going to blow up. And we had the new music, we were collecting Elvis Presley quotes because... You know, there was no budget. We were throwing nickels around like manhole covers, right? right? So we knew sometimes we were going to work on a special that was coming down the road. So we'd ask every artist about, here's our list, right? And he He,
0: was offended because of the comparison.
1: To Elvis. Uh, uh, Yeah. And so I asked him the Elvis, just a normal Elvis question. And he took his mic off and he threw it on the ground. He said, I don't have to stand for this shit. And he walked away. And I'm looking at the label and they're looking at me going, what the hell just happened? And I included, he sent me a postcard, an apology postcard, which I included in the book, which was just like, you know, dear Denise, I'm sorry. The sun was in my eyes and my underwear was too tight and the dog ate my homework and I'm not always a, you know, a jerk. Please forgive me, blah, blah, blah. And except for when the next time I interviewed him, he was a jerk again.
0: (laughs) Well, and here we are. He was a very good looking guy who could obviously write a good song and had a nice voice. And we're the only two people within a 30 block radius of us right now that knows who he is.
1: Oh well, there. Well, you know what? Some artists can be their own worst enemy. Exact, I'm not yeah. totally. I've seen artists. I've seen careers, you know, plummet because they, or maybe they're just awkward. Sometimes they're not bitchy and arrogant. Sometimes they're just awkward, right? That no. whole yin yang performance. Artist they can be very shy. Thing eh? really shy, and sometimes you take them out of their comfort zone. So, I mean, imagine. In order to create great music, you have to, I think, it's an isolationist pursuit, right? You're alone in your room, you're learning your craft, you're writing a song, you're being osmotic to the muse, the muse is coming in, you're holding up a mirror, you're sending it back out there. And then you send this crafted piece of work out for judgment, right? And you can't separate the artist from the work. Sometimes they do Lady Gaga, Alice Cooper, David Bowie, there's personas, right? Mm -hmm. But still, it's the work. So you're sending it out there and you're saying, here's my work. Do you like it? Do you like me? And then you have to go into this extrovert pursuit where suddenly what Joni would call the star making machinery, right? It's red carpets and it's press and it's meet and greets backstage. And so, and now you need not osmotic skin, you need reptilian skin because you're going to meet a lot of jerks backstage. And uh, you're suddenly under the spotlight in a big microscope, and uh, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. So it's a very yin yang. I think it's a very, very difficult... That's why we have, you know, so many members of the 27 Club, I think. Yeah. Because they're not well-supported. They go out, you know, big artists go out, and one minute they're in front of 15,000 people screaming their name, and then two hours later they're in their room a little high, and the walls are closing in, and uh, they don't know who their real friends are.
0: Yeah. They're not, as a rule, though, terribly sympathetic characters, really, because people envy their lives... Mm-hmm. So much, and mm-hmm. generally, you can tell when a band is trending toward being done is when their lyrics start being about how tough it is to be a rock star as opposed to <laughs> the right. angst of growing up as a teenager <laughs> right, or something right,
1: right? oh pull me yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> but they also get separated right they become cocooned they right. you know they're suddenly being driven around um with you know blacked out windows and staying in hotel rooms where you know there's a that they're, they're surrounded by syncophants, really, yeah. Um, that's why I think, you know, I can...
0: Now they're starting to sound like politicians.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. You, uh, you, gotta tra- you have to stay true. So mm. wh- however way you can find your center and keep, you know, supporting your ground and making sure you have people around you who are supporting you, uh, which is tough, um, then that's sort of the recipe for, uh, for longevity, hopefully. Yeah. What's your favorite video? Of all time? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a hard question. I remember, you know, I remember when Sinead O'Connor's video came in. You know the one, Nothing Compares to You? Oh, my God, And it was just her. Yeah. That one beautiful face with her bald head. And, you know, you could not, I don't know how many times you you could watch that video and still not look away from it. I agree with that. That was one of those videos that really um, uh, was transcendent, I think. Um, it was the
0: perfect match of the visual with her performance.
1: Exactly. Right, it just yeah. matched so well. Oh, no, it was it was wonderful. Oh, there's just so many. Mm. You know, I made some videos. Well, just the whole godly and cream oeuvre, <laughs> I suppose. You know, from Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer to, I mean, they were people who were. Um, symbiotic with their artists, right? They were, they were taking a song and an artist and layering all this extra stuff on top of it. Like, not only great lighting and performance, but, you know, the, the CGI stuff and, and they were, they were creating art in itself. Um, which I think really pushed the medium, also made it very expensive. Right, <laughs> right. but
0: those videos for Peter Gabriel—they launched him as a modern artist. Absolutely, right? for sure. Yeah, because right. Peter
1: gate hes another yeah. one who's very shy. Right, right. Interviewing him is 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 tough. He's really shy. Right, but he's also wonderfully motivated. I mean, everything he did with uh, with WOMAD and trying to bring world music to a bigger audience was just hugely commendable. I had a lot of time for Peter Gabriel.
0: Yeah. One of the world's great artists, mm-hmm. for sure. Speaking of world's great artists, I'm wearing a, a t shirt. It says, I'm the rocket man. because I, as Elton. I as I mentioned to you, I, yeah. I have an Elton John obsession that dates back to when I'm 14 years old and it has not abated. And I read your book and there's like 20 references to Elton John in your book. Have you met him?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. A number of yeah. times. Yeah.
0: Um, see, I'd be afraid to meet him because everything you read about him says that it's pretty mercurial. You don't know what you're going to get. I get it. Well,
1: did you ever see that film that David Furnish did of him? Tantrums, Tantrums and, and Terrors? Yeah. Oh, you don't want to meet him after you've seen that. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing starts with him. Him, you know the tyranny of the florists I mean he goes on a whole rant just because he has a floral arrangement that he calls funereal <laughs> in his dressing room um He is a very big hearted man uh elton john um he i mean and and my obsession, I don't know if I'm obsessed, but I remember falling in love with Elton John's music uh, and Bernie Taupin, of course, when I was very young, because I was forced to take piano lessons as a kid. Okay, so sure. You know, the first book I ever got um, with notation that wasn't Bach or Mozart was um, was Elton John. And I remember learning your song was one of my first songs I ever learned to play and sing together on right. the piano. And I was in, I think I was in grade nine, and, you know, they have the the uh, school um, in the gymnasium at the end of the year. They do the big concert, and, and so I was asked to perform. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm telling this story. And so I went out and sat down on the piano and played, or tried to play, your song yeah. to the audience. Sure. Um, Totally messed it up, like had to stop and start a couple times, couldn't remember, so freaked out about actually playing in public, and went backstage, and uh, a friend of mine came back, and he, I mean, he was so mortified for me, he didn't even come back in person, he sent a copy of the program back, and he wrote on it, and he said, Denise... Good thing you have good legs. <laughs> and that was it.
0: Oh, my God. The second episode is going to deal with Denise's decades building Canadian culture and being a leader in the Canadian cultural industry and what it's like to be a woman in that industry. So thank you all for listening to The Hurly Burly today. iTunes makes it almost impossible to figure out how to rate and review a podcast episode. If you could, take the time to try to figure it out. And you like the show, give us a rating and a review. Thanks.